Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, we've been on a series called Love of Strangers because hospitality in scriptures is actually love of the stranger. And uh, for Jesus, hospitality wasn't inviting your friends and your cousins over for Christmas dinner. Well, we do that in our culture. We would call that hospitality. That's the way we look at it. But for Jesus, it was about enlarging your circle, reaching out past the perimeter of, if, if I could put it this way, your people, that is the usual sort of people that you connect with, to, to connect with people that are new to you. It's how you treat people. It's how you treat people specifically that you don't know or might not be considered part of your predictable group. And um, that's, that's hospitality in the Bible. That's, that's, that's what it looks like. And so we're going to start by having a look at a hospitality moment in the Scriptures. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 9 says, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in a tax collector's booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. And then it happened that as Jesus was reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion, not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is clearly reaching out to to people that are far from God, people that maybe had no concept of what a relationship with God would even look like, Um, people who were obviously not welcomed and received by the Pharisees, that religious um, group of that time. He's doing what they call being a friend of sinners uh, in their time. That was a criticism in our time. That's a compliment. Come on. Jesus being a friend of sinners is a compliment. That's the Jesus that we serve. Not an enemy of sinners, not a condemner of sinners, but a friend of sinners. He's showing hospitality. And of course, food is involved. How many glad food's involved with hospitality? Come on, give Jesus a big hand. Okay, moving right along. That was the custom of the day. If if I ate with you, I welcomed you. I received you. I could even say I, you know, approve of you, so to speak, as a person or whatever. And, you know, I think that custom is still very much a part of today. That's what we do as we get to know people, as we connect with people. We share meals together. I'm accepting and welcoming you as a friend. And that's very real today. At this meal, though, Jesus gives us insight into his motivation for his hospitality when he talks about compassion, compassion, and tells them, go find out what this means. Go figure out what compassion is all about. Seeing through the eyes of compassion is how we are to view people. This is how Jesus looked at people. He saw through the eyes of compassion, gave him an insight into people 
that he would otherwise not have. Obviously, the Pharisees didn't have it. One group of people looked at the tax collectors and sinners in light of their present actions. That was the Pharisees and, and passed even and thought, these people are liars, they're maybe immoral, they're thieves, they're, they're maybe drunkards, they swear, they are selfish, they are ungodly, like all these sort of things that would be considered unacceptable, you know, they, that's how they saw them. Um, so they, they just don't get it when they look here, and here's Jesus being a friend to these people. Why put time into these people? After all, you've got these two groups. You have these sinners, you have these tax collectors. These sinners may be considered just sort of low-life uh, people that are just kind of like, you know, living their own way, doing their own thing, maybe too far for God to even change and turn around. And, and perhaps the, the tax collectors, because they were wealthy, might have been seen on the other end of the spectrum, the kind of people that are so rich they think they don't even need God, feel like they've got it all together. To the Pharisees, both of those groups were offensive, and both of those groups were, would be considered excluded from God's family and impossible to reach. Jesus comes along and gives a completely different viewpoint about those people. He describes all of them as sick people who need a doctor. Sick people who need a doctor. He's not concerned about what they do, but he is concerned about why they do what they do. And looking at that, he could say, these are sick people who need a doctor. Jesus at one point sees lost people and he says this about them. He said, these lost people, he said, they're, they're like sheep without a shepherd. They, they have no idea about the choices they're making. They're making all kinds of wrong choices. They're making a mess in their life. They are like sheep without a shepherd. Do you know what unguided sheep do? They just go the wrong way. Just make their own decisions and they make poor ones. That's why they need a shepherd in the first place. Rather though than commenting on the mess of the sheep, what was Jesus doing? He was referring to their need in their life. He sees that they are the way that they are and why they are the way they are. Jesus is responding out of compassion. Compassion shows kindness and favor. Compassion takes pity and shows mercy. The disposition of compassion causes us to see people through the eyes of grace, Instead of judgment, instead of judgment, instead of pointing a finger, compassion wants to lend a hand. Not only does Jesus see people the way that other people don't see people, but because he sees people the way other people wouldn't see people, he treats them differently too. He acts differently towards them because here's what Jesus would do. He would give them what they needed, not what they deserved. That was the way that compassion operates. That's the way grace operates. That, that's actually what grace does. That's what God does for you and me. God doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us what we need. We need grace. We need mercy. We need help. Think about the definition of hospitality, love of the stranger. What do strangers need? They need welcome. That's what they need. They need to know that they're welcome. You're welcome. Jesus was allowing these people to feel welcomed just as they are. In other words, no prerequisite. No, if you clean up your act, if you get it all together, if you'll start acting the way that I'd like, none of that. Just, just as you are, you're welcome. You're welcome. That's what compassion does, though, through showing kindness and favor. In fact, 
That's what we are called to do as a church. It's how we do church. For many people, they look at the church as a place that's kind of like you have to qualify to be a part of that. Like, like if you want to go into one of those services, if you want to be a part of, of uh, you know, some activity happening at a church, shouldn't you be like one of those believer kind of people, uh, one of those born-againers or whatever you want? <laughs> you, but, but the idea is you, you should be kind of like qualified, you know? And for many people, that's how they still view church, is that church is only for those qualified people, and then there's us who are the outsiders. So there's insiders and outsiders, and that's a Pharisee mentality. The message that we want to send is this. You are welcome just as you are. You are welcome. While you're still considering the claims of Jesus, you're welcome. While you're still learning and trying to figure it all out for yourself, you're welcome. You are welcome here while you're still working on areas of your life that you know need to change. Come on. Listen, it doesn't matter how long you've been with Jesus I'm sure there's things that you're still working on in your life, but you are welcome. Come on. Isaiah 11, verse two says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Speaking of Jesus, spirit of wisdom and of understanding, a spirit of counsel and power, a spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. And then it says this, He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy and with justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. This is about the fact that Jesus looks beyond the surface. He looks beyond just our actions, right or wrong. Compassion doesn't see people as a problem, but rather it sees the problem that's inside of people. Compassion, I'll put it this way, could see the sickness, not just the symptom. And often in our lives, we're focused on the symptom. We're we're focused on the actions that, you know, uh, bother us. We're focused on what irritates us. We're focused on the choices that we know are wrong. We're focused on the symptom, but through the eyes of compassion, Jesus could see beyond the symptom to the sickness. If all you see in people is their symptom, you'll be frustrated and you'll be angry with people and you'll lose your patience. You'll not care so much about them, but rather about how they inconvenience you, how they frustrate you, how they bother you. You can be offended. You can be hurt by, their, by the symptom that people have. But if you will change your posture to see them with compassion, you'll better understand their sickness that is behind the symptom. When all we see is the symptom, our offer to help can just feel like a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice to deal with this person who inconveniences me because of their choices in life. If they would just make better choices, if they wouldn't be so disorganized, if they would just follow instructions, if they would just stop using if they would just watch their words, if they would just, can't they just seem to get their life together? Don't they understand that their choices are affecting and what they're doing to others? And by the way, this doesn't have to be with a stranger. This can be with somebody that is a lot closer than a stranger. 
But when all you see is the symptom, your service to them feels like sacrifice. If you could see the sickness, you'd be moved with compassion. Both compassion and sacrifice are acts of giving, but with different motives. They're both acts of giving, but with different motivation. Sacrificing to meet a need is an act of giving, obviously. The need gets met. I give up something that once belonged to me. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's time. Maybe I'm just giving up my plans for the day in order to meet a need. But that's exactly what I do. I give up. It's, it's a loss. My giving is a loss of what was once mine. I'm making a sacrifice. It's a decision of my mind. It's calculated. It can be very calculated and cold, actually. Compassion is also an act of giving, but completely different in its motivation. Because here's, and here's the difference. Compassion starts with what touches the heart. It starts with emotional connection. It actually starts with a feeling of sympathy and empathy for the situation, for the need, even pity. It connects with the heart of the matter and then presents uh, you know, a solution to it, but it connects with the heart of the matter and the present suffering that's happening with the individual. Compassion feels. It feels for others. And then out of that heart of connection comes the desire to alleviate the need. And then compassion takes action. But it's action that is motivated by love, by love. 1 Corinthians 13, I'm going to read the part that they never read at weddings, <laughs> but I suggest we probably should start. Any rate, here it is. If I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, there's a sacrifice, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Scripture is saying, listen, I can offer a prayer for people in a situation, but if it's not motivated by love, my prayer is just noise. I can have powerful gifts of the Spirit operating through me. I can be a, a person of miracles. But if it's not founded in love, then I am nothing. Great giving without love is sacrifice. Sacrifice can simply feel like a loss. In fact, without love, you are very aware of what you are giving up when you're helping others. When Jesus is talking about sacrifice, we have to remember that he's speaking to a group of people who are very aware of what sacrifice is. He's speaking to Jewish people who in their religion and in their culture uh, were practicing the Old Testament uh, practices of animal blood sacrifices to atone for their sin. In other words, we're making this sacrifice to pay for something and to purchase something. So we're paying for our sin and we're purchasing our favor with God. All these sacrifices were being made all the time. However, they were for a specific purpose. Sacrifices were made to gain God's favor, to gain forgiveness, to gain approval. And so you sacrifice to gain something. Sacrifice was giving to get. Sacrifice was a payment. 
But Jesus changes all of that. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 35, it says, but love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without hoping to get anything back. Then you'll have great reward. And you will be children of the Most High because he is kind even to people who are ungrateful and full of sin. Under the new covenant, under Jesus, sacrifices were no longer payments. Sacrifices were evidence. The sacrifices that were being made were evidence of the fact that you had already received God's forgiveness. You'd already received God's favor. You were already forgiven. You were already accepted by him. You were already loved by him. And now your sacrifice is motivated by compassion. And it's just evident that you are a changed person because of Jesus coming into your world. In the Old Testament, they were a payment. In the New Testament, they're evidence. They're evidence that you've already received God's love. They're evidence that you're changed because of Jesus. Jesus uses the word compassion because it best represents what New Testament sacrifice looks like. It's an act of kindness and mercy motivated by love. And when giving is coming out of compassion, it is always motivated by love. Sacrifice acts out of obligation while compassion responds to the opportunity to serve others. Sacrifice acts out of obligation. Well, compassion responds to opportunity. A lawyer comes to Jesus and asks him a legal question. What must I do to be saved? In other words, what are the legal requirements for salvation? When a question like this is being asked, the goal is to simply find out what is the minimum requirement. What must I do? These are not questions where it's like, what else can I do? But rather, what must I do? What's the lowest possible expectation that you're going to have of me, Jesus? Jesus answers him, tells him he should love God, and he should love his neighbor. And then in Luke chapter 10 and verse 29, he responds back and says this, but wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Now he's starting to split hairs. Now he's, he's starting to go after the details and say, well, you know, we better define this, this neighbor person. Who is this person I'm supposed to love? Let's, let's really get specific about this Jesus. And I'm, I'm sure that in his mind, he was thinking, maybe that's the house beside me. Uh, maybe that's people that are on my street and my block. Maybe that's the office beside my office at work. Maybe that's the people that are around the lunch table, maybe that's my neighborhood, you know, whatever his neighborhood happened to be. You know, we have neighborhoods in, in, in our city as well, you know, Park Allen, Queen Alexander, Old Strathcona. Well, I'm sure he would have thought maybe, maybe it's a chunk of the city that I live in. Maybe that's my neighbor. And then Jesus goes into a story that's now um, commonly called the Good Samaritan story. And I'll just summarize it for you. In this story, Someone has been robbed, they have been beaten, they've been left to die on the side of the road, and I'll talk about that in a moment. And then the Bible says that, that a couple of religious leaders walk by, and, and it's, it's humorous, actually, when you get into it, because it says that they went to the other side of the road. The thing about it is, the road was not white mud freeway, okay? <laughs> the road was like donkey path. 
So for them to go to the other side of the road meant they're being very intentional to ignore this person in need. The other fellow comes along, the Samaritan. He sees the man in need, helps him out, bandages him up, drops him off at an inn to stay, uh, to recover, says, you know, uh, here's some money to pay for it. When I come back, if I need to pay any more to help you out, I'll do that. He, He just totally covers this whole thing. And then the story wraps up in Luke 10, 36, where it says this, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy towards him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. The legalist wanted to know what his obligations were that would qualify him to call himself a Christian or somebody who was saved, a godly man. But Jesus tells him that if he really caught what it meant to love people, it'll show by how he responds to an opportunity to show mercy. He was focused on finding a neighbor. Who's my neighbor? Maybe there's this geographic location. Maybe it's some other kind of connection that I have with with people that I know. Who, Who should I call my neighbor? Well, Jesus was focused on learning to be a neighbor by how you act, and even specifically, how you act with strangers. You see, according to Jesus' definition, you can actually live beside someone and not be a neighbor towards them. In other words, we can have people that live right beside us and we don't even know their name. It's not about finding the stranger to love so that you can be hospitable in a biblical way. It's about a decision to exercise compassion to others and the stranger will come along. It will happen. Opportunity will happen. Compassion responds to opportunity. It's not about what we have to do. It's about what can we do? How can we contribute? How can we make a difference? What can we do to see this situation change to meet a need, to uh, take care of these lives. Compassion often flows, by the way, in the context, very similar to Jesus' story, of spontaneity and inconvenience. If you'll notice, when you read the story, the Samaritan was going somewhere. It's like, this is not convenient. I actually have something to do. I have some place to be. Because when he takes care of the man, he says, well, I got to finish my trip. But when I come back, you know, I'll check in, make any payments, all, all the rest of it. So here it was, spontaneous, not planned. Just there it is, boom, a need in front of me. It's not convenient, but I'm going to step out. I'm going to be a neighbor. I'm going to show compassion. I have an acquaintance of mine who went on a Christian cruise whatever a Christian cruise is. <laughs> anyway, any rate, moving right along. But while they were on this cruise, which was, uh, you know, in, in south of Florida, uh, the captain of the ship was told, hey, there's some people stranded in the water. They were Cubans that were, you know, heading towards Florida and whatever they were floating on fell apart or whatever. And any rate, the short story is that that cruise ship was the closest rescue vessel that could get to these people. And so he was commissioned to go pick them up. And so he does. They go, they get these folks out of the water, you know, get them out of harm's way, get them to safety. And um, 
you know, she, she actually got to connect with them, got to share Christ with them. I think she even gave them a Bible or mailed a Bible to them or whatever. There was some connection um, that happened that way. But she told me this. She said, you know, when our cruise ship became a rescue ship, the captain said, there's one of the stops, because this is what they do on these cruises, right? They stop at different places to see things. He said, there's one of the stops that we're gonna have to cancel and take off our list because of the added time that's gonna be needed to rescue these people. And she said, I, we, we actually had believers complaining that they would lose out on a stop while here we are rescuing people. You don't get to make an appointment to show compassion. It's in a time of unscheduled need arising. It is awkward, it is costly, it is unscheduled, it is inconvenient, it is interruptive, it is disruptive, and it is spontaneous. But when I look at the life of Jesus, I look at a life who had many different miracles and amazing things take place in the lives of people around him because he was willing to respond to inconvenience and unscheduled. Read through Matthew chapter 8 and 9, and you can see that throughout those uh, two chapters. First of all, he has crowds following him. Then a man with leprosy just shows up, and now Jesus takes time to heal this uh, man with leprosy. I mean, he's got crowds he's ministering to, but he gives the specific attention to this need. Then a centurion comes along, and, and, and Jesus offers to go to his home. I've got crowds, but I'm going to go to your home. I'm going to go out of my way to make sure that your daughter gets healed. Well, as the story goes, he said, you just send the word, Jesus. I'll believe your word, and your word is healing. And sure enough, the daughter is healed. Jesus didn't have to go, but was willing to. He then crosses the lake. When he crosses the lake, two demon-possessed guys are brought to him for ministry. He didn't go across the lake to meet them. It wasn't a scheduled thing. They just spontaneously are brought to him. He ministers to them by casting the demons out and putting them into the uh, pigs who end up going over the bank. Then the people come to Jesus. They don't applaud. They send them away because they just killed their pigs. Oh, so Jesus crosses the lake. Well, when he crosses the lake, a paralyzed man is brought to him and he heals the paralytic. Then a synagogue leader comes and asks him to come and help with his, with his dying daughter. And while he's going to minister to his daughter, this, this woman comes to him who's been seeing doctors for years and years to deal with an issue of blood, and he heals her. Then two blind guys get his attention, and he ministers to them, and they receive healing. And then after that, a demon-possessed man, too, shows up. He ministers. It's chaotic. It is unscheduled. It is spontaneous. It is disruptive. There's nobody in queue. No one's like, take a number, get in line, you know. No one is making an appointment because he's busy. They just show up and Jesus takes time out of his schedule to minister to these people. And I submit to you that what God is going to do in your life is he's going to use the inconvenient. He's going to use the spontaneous. He's going to use the, I wasn't planning for this moments. And if you'll be aware of that, if you'll turn on compassion in your life, you'll respond accurately, you'll respond properly, and you'll watch the Holy Spirit use you to make a difference in people's lives. How do you respond when you're inconvenienced? First of all, 
Inconvenience is never convenient. That's why we call it inconvenience. Philippians 2.1 says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit? And then it asks this question, are your hearts tender and sympathetic? The scripture asks the question about the condition of your heart. You see, he's wondering, do you have the capacity to be compassionate? It's totally possible to have a heart that has become desensitized. You can develop a heart that doesn't feel anymore. You can, you can even be overwhelmed by your own busyness of life that can just snuff out compassion altogether because you feel like, I just don't have any room for that in my world. The other way that we lose out on exercising compassion is we can become uh, susceptible to the bystander effect. And here's what that is. The bystander effect is the inhibiting influence of the presence of others on a person's willingness to help someone else in need. Research has shown that even in an emergency, a bystander is less likely to extend help when he or she is in the presence of others than when they are alone. Simply put, because there are others seeing the same need in a person's life, you excuse yourself from the responsibility and the opportunity gets passed on to someone else. But what do the scriptures tell us? Colossians chapter three and verse 12. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. God says, choose compassion. Decide in advance what kind of a heart you're going to have. Caring is what often initiates acting. That's the essence of compassion. Several times in the scriptures, the Bible describes Jesus as being moved with compassion. It's like, it's like compassion was the reason that he actually did what he did. And then he feeds the hungry and then he heals the sick and he forgives sin and he raises the dead. Jesus loved the stranger because of compassion. And we are called to do the same. And my, my prayer for you is this, and my, my, I guess, opportunity for you is this. Look for opportunities to be disruptive and to serve others, to be disrupted, rather. <laughs> oh, a little slip there. Just go out and be a real pain to everybody. And look for opportunities to be disrupted and realize that God might be in your disruption. Would you stand as we pray? Jesus, I pray for every, every one of us here, and I include myself when I say, Lord, would you open our eyes to see sickness, not just symptom. Lord, we can be so turned off by symptom, but Lord, compassion sees the sickness. I pray that's what we would see. Father, I pray as well, help us to be a neighbor to others that are around us. I pray as well that we would take time to be inconvenienced so as to show God's compassion towards others. Lord, I thank you that you are in the unscheduled you are in the inconvenience. You are in the interruption and disruption. Lord, I pray that we would not allow that to turn into impatience in our life. But instead, Jesus, that we would pause, catch ourselves and realize this is God. 
This is a moment where the Holy Spirit is gonna use me. And may we run with that, embrace that in Jesus' name. We started today talking about Jesus being a friend of sinners. He represents God's true feeling towards people. He, he reaches out for relationship. That's God's intention between you and I. He isn't judging us to condemn us, our failures to Him, our sicknesses to be cured. He offers that healing through Jesus who took our sin to the cross where He died and paid for our past and now offers forgiveness and a brand new start. We receive that through prayer. Prayer of repentance, a prayer of surrender to Jesus as Lord and Savior of our life. And right now I'm gonna take a moment to pray with you. And you might be a person here who's never prayed that prayer, never made that invitation for Christ to come into your world and this is your opportunity to do so. You might be a person who says, you know, I've I prayed that prayer before, but I know I've never followed through. This can be your reset right here. And I'm gonna welcome all, all of the church to pray along with me in support of those who are praying today because they really need to. They need to have this conversation with God. And I welcome those who are watching online to pray as well. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love the world so much that you came and you died and you rose again, making way for our forgiveness and our acceptance with the Heavenly Father. I ask you to forgive my past. And today I repent. And I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. And I'm going to follow you with all of my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationedmonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.